Relinquishing Our Rights is our title, Relinquishing Our Rights. We're looking at Romans 14, 13 through 23. Romans 14, 13 through 23. So as you're scrolling through or flipping those old-fashioned things called paper, um, find Romans chapter 14 while you're doing that. And by the way, if you need a Bible, there's some over there, or just share with the person right beside you. They'll be happy to do that. While you're finding Romans 14 in the New Testament, let me tell you a tale of two cities and a tale of their two churches. True story. Imagine if you were part of a straight-up idol-worshipping religion and a straight-up idol-worshipping culture. And you'd been involved in this religion, in this culture, and idolatry your entire life. All your community, all your friends, your parents, your grandparents, your trade union, your business contacts, your master if you're a slave, your customers, your total education, secular and religious. It's all around the temple. And then the temple, it's this imposing edifice or a number of different buildings. And it would have sights, and it would have smells, and it would have sounds. And it's things you grew up with. Cradle to grave. It also would hold your trade union meetings and banquets. It would be a place for prostitution. It would be a place for have celebrations and wedding parties. And it would be the place, the place, almost the only place that you could get meat for free. And the temple precinct, the butcher shop beside the temple, is about the only place in the city where they would sell meat. Meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. Meat was a serious luxury in your country because you didn't eat it much. It was hard to get. It was expensive. It was for special occasions. And it was always from the temple. Oh, and when you feasted at this banquet the table of your god or goddess, you would commune with your god and you would offer food and you would offer wine, sacrifices to your god so that you could find favor and you would please your god that you worship. And actually, in eating the meat, you would ingest the god into your body and make him or her part of your life. But then one day, you hear the gospel. And you repent and you believe in Jesus. And you begin attending the church in the city, spread out over several homes of wealthy converts. Every Sunday after you get off work or after your master allows you to leave, you go to worship Jesus. And you also have a community meal that includes something they call the Lord's Supper. Now the wealthy members of the church are typically already eating. They didn't have to get off work or get permission from their master. They're already eating and drinking, and they're drinking wine, and they're eating meat. Now, they're already doing it, and sadly, that's just expected. It's not right, but it's the way the culture is. But you're aware, oh new convert, that that meat comes from one of the local pagan temples we're used to worship. It's the only place that's available. And and what's dissonant, what's freaking you out, is not only are they eating it at the community meal, but the owner of the house has probably already invited you to a temple banquet. The owner of the house you're meeting in has invited you to a temple banquet. And when he, he saw that quizzical look on your face, he said, no, it's no big deal. Because our old pastor, Paul, 
about a year and a half ago, he taught us that idols are just wood and stone. So, of course, the meat and the wine, they can't really be looked at as real offerings. You're not offering them. You're a Christian. So it's legit. It's legit to go and, by the way, fake it. It's legit to fake it. And enjoy. Enjoy participating in the feast and the party thereafter. Make those business contacts. Do this stuff. But, but your conscience is bothering you. It's really bothering you. Because you're, you're remembering the sights and the sounds and the smell and the sin. And you're not wanting to go back. This can't be pleasing to Christ. You're, you're not sure, but you feel the pressure and you go. Because, I mean, after all, You're a brand new Christian, and they know more about the faith than you. But you find while you're there, your your mind and your heart and your hands are starting to wander back to old ways. Now imagine, let's switch cities. Now imagine you're a devout Jew, and you've been assimilated generations now into a foreign culture that still practiced idolatry, and it even worshiped the head of state. But you strictly follow the law of Moses and kept the Sabbath and all the other holy days prescribed in the law. And though the law did not forbid eating meat or drinking wine, you can never be really certain that they'd not been used in one of those pagan worship ceremonies. And at a minimum, it wasn't prepared correctly. It wasn't what we would call today kosher. So you followed the example of Daniel and others in the intertestamental period, and you abstained from meat and wine because you wanted to legitimately, righteously keep yourself pure. You were following the God of Israel in the prescribed and proper manner. But one day, you hear the good news that Messiah has come, and you repent, and you believe in Jesus, and you begin attending the church in that city, spread out over several homes of wealthy converts. You discover, though, that most of the church are former pagans, but there's a group of former Jews just like yourself. And many of them are encouraging you to keep to your Jewish roots as you follow the Messiah of Israel. I mean, after all, it was how you were raised. And you know that these holy, you, you know that the holy days and keeping the, the now Christian Sabbath in a Jewish manner doesn't save you, but it feels right feels good. It's normal. And you just can't get why the former pagans don't do the same thing you do. And worse yet, they eat meat and they drink wine with no problem. Surely they remember where it came from and what it was probably used for. But when you brought it up, they just rolled their eyes and they kept on doing it. And at the weekly church meal, no less, they're doing it. They just inform you, hey, we're free from the law, just get over it, okay? Were they Americans? No. Okay. And you know, you're a new convert, maybe they're right, but after all these years of worshiping in one certain way, you're not sure you can do what they want to do and what they say you're free to do. You believe them, you know up here it's right. But in here, you just can't pull it off with your conscience. You feel such pressure. You're in the minority, and they're more mature than you. They really are. But you're still not certain. Well, that's a tale of two cities and their churches, and they really happen. One is a church in Corinth, and 1 Corinthians was written to them about this topic. 
and the others to the church we're dealing with. The latter, the Jewish thing, the church in Rome. Two similar but different problems. The question is, what do we do with the weak? I mean, if you're the strong, what do we do with the weak? I mean, surely we don't have to relinquish our rights, our freedom in Christ, our Christian liberty. I mean, seriously, do we? Isn't that what Jesus died for? Well, have you found today's text yet? Let's see. Remember the title? Relinquishing your rights. Let's look at Romans 14. I'm reading out of the ESV, starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Oh, everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whomever has doubts is condemned when he eats, if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We, we want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Lord, you died. We're free. We've been set free. But Lord, let us not use our freedom as an opportunity for our flesh. And let us, Lord, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, let us bear with one another in love. Let us be eager, as it says in Ephesians, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, we've got the right or the power to do something, but Lord, we want to refrain in the name of love, when it's for the benefit of someone weaker or not as strong or knowledgeable as us. Lord, let us be like you, meek. Lord, that doesn't mean we're weak. Actually, meekness defines the strong. We've been placed by you because of interactions with others in a position of weakness where we persevere without giving up. Lord, help us to be willing to put ourselves in second place and achieve what's good for others. Help us, we pray, to at the right time when led by your spirit, motivated by love and for the sake of others, to relinquish our rights. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I could stop right there. That's convicting enough, isn't it?
I get all the hard texts. You ought, to, you ought to sympathize with me right now. Okay. Remember, this letter was a scroll. And it was read all at one time to the assembled church. So they're hearing all of these things. We're hearing it in segments. They're hearing it all at once. Paul's been pleading for unity the chapter before, last week. So they've just heard Paul begin this real plea for unity, calling on both the weak and the strong to ditch their unloving attitudes towards one another. Last week in verses 1 through 12, he focused on the weak, rebuking them or telling them to stop judging the strong. Now he's going to address the strong and he's going to rebuke them. He's going to rebuke them for their selfish and unloving attitudes and behavior because they're refusing to relinquish their rights, their Christian liberty, as they dismiss the concerns and issues faced by some of the Jewish minority in the church. Their problem is they have a lack of humility and love. They're right. They've got knowledge. They are strong. They are mature. But they're not using their strength correctly. Their knowledge is not full-orbed enough. They lack humility and love. Because what they're doing in this instance, and we'll parse it out more, has the potential of seriously tempting their fellow believers and giving the gospel a black eye. So he's right in the middle of his plea. He's about to start second half. And he begins by, remember, he's just reminded both the weak and the strong that they're going to give account to God face-to-face for how they treat each other. So put up the slide, David. Here's our points. Meekness serves weakness. Then we're going to look at the right thing done the wrong way. And then we're going to see Paul's appeal that all of us, wherever we find ourselves, have an honest faith. And we'll look at that. If we had to have a point or the big idea of the passage, um, I would say it's love limits freedom. Legitimate freedom. Blood-bought freedom. Your freedom in Christ. But there are times that love demands we limit our freedom. Let's start with meekness serves weakness. Look down at your text. We're going to read it again. Meekness serves weakness, verses 13 through 15. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Remember, you're going to be judged by Christ. You're going to face the judgment seat of Christ. That's what they just heard on the scroll. Next breath. Because of that, therefore... Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. So love here is going to limit someone's freedom. Paul's telling them the strong, the mature, the ones who are right, theologically correct. He's saying you need to decide now to obey God and stop playing the judge. Remember with this sensorial, self-righteous, they'll never change kind of judgment. He says we need to knock it off. And instead, you need to make another decision to never tempt folks to be hypocritical. Decide to not tempt your weaker brothers to play the hypocrite, huh? 
Well, remember, some of the Jewish believers felt conscious bound. It was tough to get past their upbringing and heritage. They were conscience bound to, to practice a particular piety. And the way they did it, they did it for the Lord, was to not eat meat or drink wine because they couldn't guarantee it was kosher. But the other believers, who Paul is very clear, were correct. They were not being helpful, though correct, not loving. Because they're creating pressure by their public example. Imagine it. Their facial expressions, their words, pressure. And then they're eating in the communal meal. Pressure that was tempting these weak brothers to go against their conscience. See, they still felt it was best. They felt even, because remember he said, stop judging. They were a little self-righteous as well. They felt it was best, it was right to worship God in the old manner. A manner Paul did not prohibit, by the way. Keeping of the Sabbath, not eating certain foods. Paul didn't say stop it. But they knew in their heads that the majority report, per Paul even, was right. But they couldn't get past the feeling that it was not okay and not pleasing to God. So what happened? Well, they were tempted to violate their conscience, to do something that they felt was not right, not pleasing to God. But being human, they also felt the pressure from their brothers and sisters to conform. And they were about to go beyond what their level of faith would allow them to do. Remember, Paul's already told the weak to stop judging folks who can eat meat and can drink wine at the church's community meal or at the local restaurants. They had them there. Or in the privacy of their own homes with their family and friends. See, the strong understood correctly. They knew what Jesus declared back in Mark 7, that all foods, and by inference, liquids that go with food, eating and drinking, all foods were ceremonially ceremonially clean. Bottom line, Jesus said, you can eat and drink stuff without worrying if it's somehow not pleasing to God. Drunkenness, gluttony, those are sins. But wine and meat? Nah. He corrected them and said that the strong were theologically in the right, but he didn't prohibit the practice of the weak. See, unlike in Corinth, This was not about idols. In Corinth, it was about the weaker brother falling back into his pre-conversion pagan past. And this was not at all like the folks addressed in the letter to the Galatians. They were tying, they were Jews who were tying the law to the gospel. And they insisted that one had to obey the Mosaic law in order to be justified. A Jesus plus law equation. No, Here in Rome, it was some Jewish Christians wanting to live a holy life by still practicing some of their old customs. If it were a gospel plus the law to produce a righteousness of God kind of issue, I mean, if it was like Galatians, that's not what those Jews were doing. Paul would have said to the Romans, "Uh, Jesus plus the law? No way. Pass, Pass the pork and pass the port. We'll take them both, please. Because when you make it a gospel issue, Paul stands his ground. When it's not a gospel issue, it's those non-essentials where we can agree to disagree. It's a conscience thing that's okay. You can be weak. You can be strong. We're not going to draw a line in the sand. So you don't want to eat meat. You don't want to drink wine. No problem. If you're doing that because it's the gospel and you can't be declared righteous or justified, no, 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 no. This guy I'm not going to eat meat in front of. This guy... Bring the entire pig right here. 
let's eat it. Because if it's about the gospel, we can't go there. But it wasn't a gospel issue. It was about protecting the weaker Christian, not tearing down what faith they had, but striving to build them up, not tempting them to violate their conscience. Oh, their theology needed to grow, but their practice wasn't prohibited if done for the right motive. And last week, as we read, Paul said it was being done for the right motive. Their theology may need more time to be better informed, and and then when that understanding came, their practice might change. But they could have understanding, and they still decide, like movies or tobacco or alcohol or how you view the Sabbath, that it's not a gospel issue. It's a personal or cultural preference, or it's a way that we differently understand the same scriptures. It's okay. So the theologically strong Romans needed to decide to be loving, to don't do things that tempt the weak to be hypocrites, to go beyond their present level of understanding or faith. Instead, they needed to be meek. They needed to use their strength to humbly serve. They needed to relinquish their rights. They needed to not insist on their knowledge trumping someone's conscience about a non-gospel issue. And where knowledge and our behavior is never to cause a, a brother or sister grief or distress or to stumble them in what they do. Because Paul says here, this is a tough one, Paul says here that we lead them on a path that could eventually lead them to leaving the faith altogether. They needed to decide not to be the material cause of someone sinning against their conscience. See, we are our brother's keeper, and we are called to love, to use our strength and knowledge to protect and to build up, not to tempt and to tear down. In 1 Corinthians 8.12, where this same issue over in Corinth is being talked about, Paul tells us strong that they're sinning against Christ. And in Matthew 18, 6 and 7, Jesus, though his target is the world and false teachers, he does leave room for us acting like them. And, and when we act like them, we fail to protect, or sometimes we even, not on purpose, but we engage in harm, the little ones, the disciples who are following him in childlike faith. And what's sad is, can you imagine if, if what we're doing tempt someone to go beyond their conscience and they start ignoring their conscience and other things and then they start doing things or they go back to an old way and again another topic were they saved or not at the t- another topic but they do commit apostasy and they walk away you realize <laughs> I could have to be part of excommunicating you for something I tempted you to do in the first place I don't think that's loving. It's sobering, isn't it? We are our brother's keeper. Our love sometimes needs to limit our freedom. Point two, the right thing, the wrong way. Let's look down at verse 16 through 21. Now, the rest of it's pretty easy from here out, pretty straightforward. So So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, 
Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it's wrong for someone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble along the path of apostasy. We're not talking about the self-righteous person who says, hey, you can't do that. That's more like in Galatians. You can't do They're never going to do that. Trust me, you're never going to tempt them to do it. They want to let you know, that's just wrong. But what about their kids? Or what about if it is based on weakness? And they've got wrong theology, and maybe we need to let them have a chance. Like God's patient with us when our theology is not always perfect. We're not talking about, is Jesus the Christ? We're talking about, can you smoke a cigar or drink wine? Let's bring it down to Miami. Your liberty in the gospel is a good thing, Paul says. But it, your liberty, you, and as outsiders are watching, even the gospel can be thought of as evil if your lack of love contributes to the tearing down of someone else. And anyway, God's rule and reign in our lives, the kingdom of God, what's it to be about? Not eating and drinking. I mean, enjoy, of course. All things are created. All things are good. But it's about righteousness, isn't it? Our right standing with God. And our right standing with God should result in righteous behavior towards others. Welcome to a definition of love. Not not perceived disobedience and temptation and loveless freedom. Righteousness should result in righteous behavior. Treat others like God treats me. Peace. Our peace with God. One of the promises of the new covenant should result in peaceful relations with our neighbor. Remember, as much as it's in your power, be at peace with all men. Just the opposite of pressure and guilt and judging and despising. And joy. Kingdom of God is about joy. The joy of our salvation, of our adoption. We're, that joy has been made real in our hearts by the, by the person, the agency of the Holy Spirit. And that should result in thinking and in behavior, the fruit of the Spirit that brings joy to other believers, not causes them grief and temptation. And this type of self-sacrificing love and humility equals meekness. It's a countercultural lifestyle that serves the weak by loving and protecting them. Why have you been made strong? Why do you have good Bible knowledge? Why are you mature in your faith? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but part of your job description then is to love and protect and be patient and patiently instruct those who are weak and give them room. And if we agree to disagree on a particular thing in Scripture that's not an essential, to be in unity and not make it a big deal. Because it's not. It's a love that serves Christ. It pleases God. And by the way, it's noticed by others, believers and unbelievers. So Paul's point is, decide, make a decision. It's an obedience issue. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. Decide not to do anything that can cause stumbling. <laughs> oh my, are you kidding me? That's, that's, it's almost like you have to be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. Because every person's got a different little vibe going on. 
And how do you, and what do you? You got to read scripture and talk and be willing to flex and to bend and relinquish. And to, but here's the easy thing. What does love your neighbor look like? And how, what about the golden rule? How would you want to be treated if you were weak? Would you want the eye roll? No, instead, that's what you don't do. It's what you put off. How about what you put on? How about what you do? Pursue peace and pursue edification. Pursue building people up. See, love limits freedom by pursuing peace. It's not just a limitation. It's an active endeavor. It's not just limiting. Love is active. Love is at work. Love pursues peace, sows righteousness, brings joy, acts and feels and loves and accepts a certain way, like Christ has treated and accepted and feels about us. It builds up. And last but not least, both sides, every Christian, is called to have an honest faith. Let's look at verse 22 and 23. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. (laughs) Now, it's not talking about evangelism here. It's talking about the faith, the doctrinal knowledge, what you're in faith to do. Paul's not contradicting himself now. The Great Commission, psych, keep it to yourself. No, no. It's like, hey, are you in faith to do that? That kind of faith. Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one, or blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. And an often misquoted verse, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So, what's he saying? The strong do not have to become hypocrites. So everybody who's strong right now can just go, They're allowed to exercise their freedom in Christ. And by the way, they don't have to keep their freedom in the closet. But we are required to be meek and have humble dialogue. Humble, meek dialogue. Patient instruction. Brotherly disagreement. Speaking the truth in love does not necessarily mean temptation and destruction. We can agree to disagree but we can't disagree disagreeably. Charity, love. That's the strong. Around weak Christians, the strong will love them by limiting their freedom. And they'll love them by not looking down on them. Not giving the eye, the whisper, the nudge to your spouse. The kids in the back seat. No. And we don't put pressure on people to conform to our opinion when it's not a gospel issue. Instruction, disagreement, dialogue. Oh, yeah, let it happen. We talk about things that matter. It's the Bible. But we're not talking about adultery. We're not talking about homosexual marriage. We're not talking about, no, no, this is not what that verse is talking about. It's talking about, do you go home to celebrate Sunday or do you go out to celebrate Sunday? 
And what are the theological ramifications and reasons you do what you do? It's that kind of stuff. Good stuff, important stuff, and stuff where we can agree to disagree in our practice. But we may never force, cajole, pressure, condemn, look down on, judge, despair, despise, avoid. That's not love. And the funny thing is, you always think the other person is the weak one and the one without knowledge because it's never you. I mean, it's never me. It's always them. Golly, if only they'd be like me. And we can never tell somebody to just get over it. Or we can never write them off as stupid. Ooh, did I say stupid? No, it's not loving. We need to allow for differences in practice that are not tied to the gospel or clear moral issues addressed in the Bible. And by the way, strong, which of course is everyone, don't be known for your freedom. Don't flaunt your freedom. Oh, that's tough. That's the part of this I don't like. I don't like the pursue peace and stuff. I, I like the, hey, Christ died for this, get over it. That'd be my preference. I don't know about you. But we're not to. We're supposed to be known for our Christ-likeness, meekness, and love. And Paul says if we do that, God will bless both you and your Christ-inspired loving limitation, and Christ will bless your Christ-purchase freedom that you practice away from the other people. That's not being a hypocrite. That's limiting freedom in front of someone else. Paul to the Corinthians said, I'll never eat meat again if it means I'm going to stumble my brother. But it was hyperbole. It was this desire because he told them, you're right, it's okay to eat meat. So listen, here's what you need to do. If you're eating in the restaurant that's attached to the temple or the temple banquet, you can't go to the temple banquet, he told them. You're not allowed to do that. He explained that. That's dining with demons, basically. Can't do that. But... If you got something at the restaurant or somebody's brought something to the house and there's a Christian there that goes, kind of leans in and goes, hey, listen, um, do you know that came from the temple of Apollo? We really shouldn't be doing that. Here's what you do. Hmm, weak brother, love limits freedom. Okay, what does it look like to be strong? He's going to tell us that in in next verse in 15.1. What does it look like to be strong? I'm going to forbear with the weak. I don't want to cause him to stumble. This guy may go back into idolatry. Now, that's not the guy that comes into the church and goes, hey, by the way, that temple thing, never, ever can you eat. Oh, if you eat meat, you'll go to hell. Listen, he, I just pegged out the system. If he's never going to eat meat, that's not who Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about the person who's going, oh, I, this is killing me and it's tempting me and is this really right and I don't know if I should do this. And the strong brother goes, yeah, get over it, it'll be fine. No, 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 that's what he's saying we shouldn't do. But the guy who comes in and says, lips that touch wine will never touch mine or lips that touch meat will never touch mine. Um, okay, that's the guy Paul says. Um, tell me why you're saying that. Weakness, bad theology, patience, no problem. Oh, no, you're clear. You're making it like you can't be a Christian and do that. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, excuse me, waiter, can I have another portion of pork? 
and um, bring another bottle of wine and one for my friend. That, that's what we're not talking about. Paul to the Galatians was very clear. But to everybody else, the guy that's going, this is, I, I just don't know. Whether it's holy days or meat or, or no, no, I, I choose to do this. I know it's not a gospel issue. It's not a problem. It's not about my salvation. But I really get something out of this. I do this for the Lord. The Lord meets me here. We don't go, really? For real? You do the, like, the Shabbat thing? No. It's fine. Cool. No problem. And we don't go, fine. Golly, that's not how we do it. Love. We sow peace. We sow righteousness and joy. No one's allowed to be a hypocrite. It's funny because they may grow in their understanding, because remember, we're the strong and we know. They may grow in their understanding and not do that. And Paul was telling the Romans and the Corinthians that it is okay to eat meat and drink the wine. It's not a problem. So hopefully you'll grow in patient instruction and one day you'll be able to do that. But if you never do that, or if you do grow and you still decide you're not going to do that, it's okay. Come to church. By the way, don't look down on people. You know the person in the second row. Right over there, they, they do that. Knock it off. Not allowed. That's not what love looks like. Firm on the gospel. Firm on the moral law. Not firm on things the scripture is not that clear. And if you're doing it at the right motive, exhale. You can do that here. And if you think the other person is weak before by doing it, exhale. You can do that here too. God's not going to smack you. Actually, he's going to be pleased with you that you're strong. By the way, weak, Paul's saying. Don't cave in. You've got to act not like a hypocrite, and your, face gotta be, your faith has got to be real, though meek. Weak. Don't cave in to them, because if your conscience won't let you do that, you'll be condemned by your conscience, and you think you're sinning against God, and you're caving to the fear of man and the pressure of others. Don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. In fact, if you do do that and you do something that your conscience is telling you is wrong to do and you know that you know, you're sinning. Because faith is a humble dependence on God. Faith is listening to your conscience. It's the organ, so to speak, by which the Holy Spirit typically talks to us. But sometimes your faith can be weak and you can have false pangs of conscience. But when in doubt, don't. Because if you get used to kicking your conscience to the curb, you're heading to the path of destruction. Does that mean you're going to go to hell? Not the point. The point is it's a serious thing. Because that's how the pagans live. Remember Romans 1? They know there's a God. And they kick him to the curb. They know the stars in the sky and stuff in their own heart tells them there's a God. And they self-consciously reject that and do what they want to do because of societal pressure and internal cravings. Don't act like that. Don't tempt people to do that. Live an honest faith. Have good dialogue, patient perseverance. Don't cave in. Don't judge others who do what you refuse to cave in to do. What does love look like 
on things that are not explicitly part of the gospel? Can we agree to disagree on those secondary issues? The answer is not, can we? The answer is, we're required to. So the good news is, God gives us grace to do what he tells us we have to do. But we have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know if you're like me, these commands don't come on autopilot. (laughs) I prefer to be right. And I prefer to let you know that, really, you're dumb. And even if I have the self-control or the pride to not look bad, I, 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 it's not just a matter of what does my face do. It's a matter of what goes on in my head. And what am I thinking? And do I avoid you because you do that weird thing? Or do I avoid you because you don't do it and you think I'm weird? That's not love. That's not allowed. We're to act like God has acted towards us. Christ is patient and forbearing. He's given us mercy. He puts up with us. He loves us. Not unconditionally. He loves us because of what we celebrated in communion. And because of that reason, you're to love others. And I'm to love others. Not because they're lovable or they're lovely but because of what Christ did for the cross, on the cross for them. They're our brothers and sisters. We're in God's family. If he accepts them as they are, so should we. We wouldn't want God to hold us off, would we? At arm's length. That's why we're told... but because you've been bought by Christ, you've been accepted in the beloved, let's treat others, not only the way we want to be treated, but let's treat others the way we have been treated by God. Let's pray. No song. We're good. Lord, that's a tall order. And uh, Lord, rather than a song, I just want to lead us in sober assessment right now. Lord, we want to be doers of the word. So let's just take a minute, folks, and ask God, is there something that's jumping out at you in your head or heart right now? Either you're weak or you're strong. There's an area we need to say, oh, Holy Spirit, help me apply the word to my life and change my motivation. Let me see Christ and his love more clearly so what I behold, I'll be like. Is there an area you got pinged on and you'd need to do some business with God? Just take a moment. Lord, we want to be doers, not hearers only. We don't want to look in the mirror of your word and, and see that our appearance is messed up or we have a disease in our eye and then walk away like nothing's wrong and forget. Lord, you've come to give us life. You've come to set us free. 
from these sins. You've forgiven them. Now you've come, you have broken the power of sin. We don't have to be this way. But Lord, the presence of sin is still there. So we want to remember what Paul's reminding them. And Lord, we want to receive strength and nourishment, not just from communion, but Lord, from your word. And Holy Spirit, now convict us, but convict us with hope. We can change. It begins with remembering your word, asking for forgiveness, and then just shuffling forward in sanctification. Help us, we pray. And Lord, (laughs) if we've done the thing we shouldn't do and we've listened to this message and thought of other people before we thought of us, oh, forgive us. Let us take the log out of our eye before we go speck fishing with somebody else who really needs to hear this message. Let us be active listeners and flip the order. Lord, we'll be approved by you, Paul said, and commended by men. Lord, let, it, let, let our light shine so people see our good works and how we treat one another and love one another. And so prove ourselves to be your disciples and you will receive because others will glorify you in heaven. Oh, let us do that. Let us be meek. Strong convictions with love. And Lord, sometimes love demands confrontation. Other times love demands limiting freedom. Help us, we pray, to know the difference. Your word shows us we're not left with, without instructions. You're in us. We have your word. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet for the benediction. comes right out of Ephesians 4. May the Lord give you the grace to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And may the Lord give you the grace to have humility, gentleness, and patience as we bear with one another in love. And may the Lord grant us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In Christ's name we pray.